trying to make it right These people won't let me go I'm just trying to live my life I just need space to grow I'm just trying to make it right These people won't let me go Let me grow, let me go Let me grow, let me go They should know, they should know They should know, they should know I'm just trying to live my life I just need space to grow Welcome to the Tea with Brie. I'm your host, Brie. Thanks for listening. The Tea with Brie podcast is focused on deep, honest, and vulnerable conversation. Each week, I sit down with a different guest in order to have those conversations. Every week, we'll start with my guest's bio, an intro to how we know each other, and then we'll go into a deep dive conversation about whatever topic they brought to me that week. This week, I'm joined by my guest, Charlie Capen, and I'm going to let Charlie introduce himself. I'm Charlie Capen. I Grew up in the Bay Area uh, with two parents who worked in the creative and advertising fields. I have two ch- children of my own. And uh, for the past 15 years, I've uh, actually for the past 20 years, I've worked in storytelling. For the past 15, it's been in like digital formats. Um, and I've worked for Fox and Netflix and run campaigns for entertainment and then about four ish years ago got plucked out of normalcy into all of this <laughs> so that's that's the long and short of it so now i'm vice president of gish and then co-founder of town hello i am so excited to be talking to you today it's it's weird i've only known you for like a year but I feel like I've known you my whole life which I don't Same. know if that's <laughs> if we talk too much or we talk Maybe. a lot or Maybe. it's fine I thoroughly enjoy it I just like I feel like I've known you forever so I feel the same way yeah oddly <laughs> oddly I feel like oddly. no it is odd because you don't you know you meet somebody and you're like wow uh I I connect with that person I respect that person and you know, you just sort of hit a couple of touch points and then you're like off to the races, you know, yeah. the brain, the brain fires. And then you're like, this, this is person's it. amazing. Yeah, exactly. Well, I also, so we met during the pandemic virtually. We did. Yeah. And I remember the first time I met you, I was so nervous because it was like, what? I was, because I was thrust into a panel and I was told about it like a day before you were, and I was like, hi, get on this time. This you're going to do a run through. Good luck. Bye. And I was like, okay. So and it wasn't like a really, it wasn't talking about like the latest episode of Ted Lasso. It was like, let's take on the topic of the entire country's zeitgeist moment. And then also something that had been building and consistently happening over years, building and expressing and building and expressing. And suddenly you get to be, someone to comment slash help people work through slash so many different things, wild. which is intense. Wild, wild life. If I'm so learning, it's sort of like a stressful moment, you know, when people connect and bond over. Well, it's yeah. also like it's during the pandemic. So it's already like the world is a dumpster fire. And then it's also yes. like tech issues and everyone's having tech issues. And then it's a, yes. it's a panel with 
very well-known people and you're like, oh my God, what if my internet goes out? What if I sound bad? It's just, it's just yeah. all the stress. So I feel like that like set the precedence for our friendship of it. Yeah. Trial by fire. Trial and... by fire. Stressful situations make for long lasting friendships. And uh, here we are. Agreed. Agreed. Well, and I then... think I was, I was glad to have you and meet you and, and see, see all that you have to offer because I, as I've gotten to know you, on the face of who you are, you're an incredible person, but to get to know you even more and see the other dimensions to you has been awesome. I know this summer when you visited and we just had like a three hour conversation in the kitchen with Jen and Jared, I was like, this is, this is friendship here. People. Yeah. And then also your kids are the cutest and look just like you. And it is just wild <laughs> to me. Like I get yeah. genetics people, but it, there's like it is wild how much your children look like. Kids, you. kids are a freaky funhouse mirror. I have to say, I, I have some theories about kids too, because like the stuff that I struggle with the most often is the stuff that I have not resolved for myself. So, mm. you know, I feel like they're not only like reflecting back things, but then I'm also getting to work on sort of a, a quantum leap. Sorry, that's an old reference for everybody. Quantum leap was a show okay, where people had to travel in time to fix issues and challenges on a timeline. And this guy was thrust into, as you said, thrust. I'm thrust. Listen, mm-hmm. you use the double entendre. I'm going to use that's, the double That's entendre. fine. So they, he, he gets thrust into these situations and leaps from life to life trying to solve and make right something that was wrong. Uh, I feel like children are the same kind of continuum where we have to then confront ourselves and our past experiences and, and then our, our own pettiness and our own whatever. So mm. uh, genetics is like the mirror image plus the actual experience is the same. Wild. Well, that I feel like perfectly leads us into today's topic of talking about like dismantling masculinity through the lens of fatherhood. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have enjoyed getting to know that part of you. Like when I asked you to be on, like, I'm a white dude, like, what can I share? I'm like, you have <laughs> so much to offer that I want to talk to you about. And it, and it really clicked that day in the kitchen, like when I got to sit and talk with you and Jared about like being a dad and, you know, growing up and you and I have talked about this, like my dad and I don't talk. And so yeah. for me, so we didn't talk for like six, six, seven, eight years. And so in that time, I really grew up and I was like, and I've had to come to him and be like, I am your child, but I'm no longer a child. And I think it's in parenthood, like I'm not a parent yet, but I think that's been yeah. an interesting thing of like changing that dichotomy of like you know me as one person but I've grown and now I'm this other person and you know watching you interact with your kids and then Jared interact with his kids it was just like such a joy to watch because I just feel like so many dads are like you have to be tough and you can't cry and blah 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 and like watching the two of you not perpetuate that onto your children has just been such a beautiful thing to watch it's, it's been a real journey for me. You know, I, um, for almost 10 years, I wrote a dad blog and, and co-founded a dad blog. Right. So that was really a proving ground for me. That was born out of <clears throat> some, some important experiences in my life. Um, I lost my father in 2005. And so the idea of raising kids, you know, he, he wasn't the paragon of fatherhood by any means. He, he struggled a lot. He, didn't show up a lot. He kind of disappeared out of our lives off and on. He wasn't a support to my mom. So I basically grew up with a single mom, but there were pieces of him that really led me to be who I am as a father in a lot of ways, though I will credit my mom for most of what I 
how I employ parenting. And she really taught me to be the provider that I am. Uh, my dad did not do that. Um, but not having my father around to sort of compare notes to and realizing I had no resource for it, that's where that kind of journaling came from. Uh, it was also a place where I could experiment, you know, on social media and on, you know, different platforms and stuff and build community and, and try and fail without getting fired or, you know, losing a client or something like that. So it was really a place where I could, you know, stretch, stretch my wings and, and, and talk about things I think also that men should and don't talk about enough. So I spent, you know, a better part of 10 years and got to do some incredible things with it um, because we garnered an audience. We used humor to sort of anesthetize men to then go in and do surgery. Um, and it's an unfolding thing. You know, each, each phase has taught me that I don't know, you know, and, and just being okay with that. And also, you know, being able to sort of push back on that kind of man up, nut up, whatever kind of attitude and the difference between a grit and, you know, a toxic masculinity. Um, I, I had the privilege of speaking at the White House about that topic, which was the scariest shit I've ever done in my life. I mean, I, don't, I had no business being in that room, <laughs> like, um, but it was um, a profound experience because I got to specifically talk about gender roles and talk about how I, I, my belief that if we're going to dismantle the patriarchy in the way it is now and, and in a more equitable fashion, have a society that uh, accepts all people and values all people, that men have to do that work. Like you can't just make, it's the same thing with the race conversation, in my opinion, like you can't just throw the weight of that emotional work on the community that's being marginalized, the other people who are doing it have to do that work. So that's something I've really wanted to teach my kids is, you know, we are the partners in this process. We are uh, responsible for it. And whether we're actively doing it or not, we have to scaffold the, the wall and the bridges to improve that situation. So um, the, the blog really helped me, I think in some ways crystallize what I wanted to say to my children, because it was through this lens of journaling and making fun of parenting and making fun of the stress of parenting and making the, the stress and the fear of the enemy, um, as, as opposed to the, the style of parenting. Ugh, I need you to write a, a book. I'm not, putting, I, I'm not putting pressure on you, but I also need you to just like go write a book. Thank you. Okay. I, mm, okay. Thank you. Yep. I'm just, I didn't, I didn't, there's no due date. It's just, I just need you to write a book. That's what I'm going to say. Yeah. I will write. In your spare uh, time. So in my spare time, <laughs> I will definitely jump on. I, we, I wrote a book with the, this business partner when we had the blog that is a coffee table book of like baby co-sleeping positions okay. through Random House. And it was um, the hardest experience. I Writing a book sounds so listen, intense. Listen, you're older and wiser now. Um, true. true. Mm. Older now. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> the, the wiser you can leave off. Yes. I feel like you're prepared. Um, yeah, that's so my, that's interesting. My mom passed in 06. Um, mm -hmm. And it's been interesting. Like me started therapy when I was 15 after she passed and I too started using journaling, using journaling as a means of coping. And then 
in 2019, at the end of the year, I had like this huge existential crisis of like, I'm turning 30. I have nothing to show for my life. You're a failure. You're not married. You have no kids. You're living in a state that is on fire. And I was like, let's take this energy (laughs) and do something else with it. And so in 2020, before the pandemic hit, I made the decision not to date and and to instead write and go on like this self-actualizing journey of like, okay, who am I outside of every relationship I hold? Why am I so terrified to being a single parent? Because I've always seen myself as being a parent, but not a partner. So I was like, ooh, let's unpack as to why I don't believe I'm worthy of, of love, which was. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's oh, a whole, that a you whole... should write the book on that one. That would be. <laughs> Wait, it's, it's happening. I'm writing like two books right now. Cause I can't, I'm an overachiever. It's it's me. Um, and then also like what my non-negotiables are in dating. And it was just, you know, I, and I talked, I guess interviewed now, but I talked to friends who were adopted friends who had adopted parents, um, parents who were co-parenting, like just all these different perspectives on parenting and unpacking as to why I, I thought that I would be a failure as a single parent. And it was actually just societal pressure of like how we see single mothers, specifically single mothers of color, um, being in a state mm. where Texas doesn't really like queer people. So like if they knew I'm queer and they want to give me a baby, like all these different things. And then yeah. the maternal yeah. mortality rate. And just what if I die when I have this kid, what that mean for that kid? So just a lot of like, you haven't done any of the homework. I see. Okay, good. I got no, it. No, 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 no. Um, <laughs> but it was, it was just, it's just been so interesting. These last, you know, turning 31, almost 32 and you know, not 32 till March, but still, um, but just looking at what it means to nurture and mother. And I've been a nanny and, you know, I have a godson and all these different ways to like be able to love a child and not actually be connected to them in a maternal way. But listening to a lot of stuff from like Tracy Ellis Ross, who is single and not a mom. And she's been talking about mothering in the ways that she mothers, even people her own age. And yeah, just a lot of like, self-actualization and and validation Mm. I feel like a lot of the time we are I'm not doing it now so I'm not doing it right and it's just you know the older I get and see my other friends who have kids and I'm like this is hard like (laughs) being a parent is difficult Um, and I know it's something I want but I'm also like okay if this is something that doesn't happen to me what does that mean and then also talking like I talk to a bunch of my aunts who don't have kids of their own um, and just getting perspective, right? And I and I and I think that's a an interesting thing, like you were saying with your writing of like just getting perspective. Like I feel like if we all stay in this one bubble, we'll never know. And I'm just I'm just I don't want that for us. I just want us all to do well, better. So I the, want you to write the, the book. The beautiful. Well, I, well, listen, this <laughs> is bullying. Sneak, <laughs> rude. Is it bullying? No, or do, you, do you? Is it bullying? Or you have a friend who just believes in you so much? That's right. It's coaching for sure. Thank, thank I, you. Uh huh. Uh huh. So. The, the interesting thing about what you're saying to me, I think is, is twofold. And this is born out of having been raised by a single mom and watching how she had to operate and watching how the concept of who she was was attacked in a lot of ways, either unconsciously or subtly or whatever, subliminally. <clears throat> um, out of this, this, these decades of an, an open attack by, by politicians on single moms and making them out to be less than and, you know, working to sort of undermine the concept that a single parent household, which has a sort of, it smacks of the same thing for gay and queer parents too, which is like, because you aren't representing these two genders, you are somehow less than, it it all kind of comes from the same place in my opinion. Um, 
I, I received the love I needed from my mom straight up. I, I wasn't at a deficit. And in, mm. in fact, I think the beautiful thing that you're talking about sort of without stating it is that we have the ability now to define ourselves as parents in many more ways than we ever have. And that's a journey that I think we all should be embarked on. But in the parenting conversation, there are so many different types and styles of parenting now. And there's so many unique experiences that parents can bring to bear on their kids, <clears throat> especially if they're working on themselves, especially if they're trying to be who they are fully. I don't want to be a caricature of a father, you know, for all the like parenting I do to people, to my kids, but also in a pseudo way, you know, on social media to so many, so many are without love and acceptance and understanding. And I, I hate screw tolerance. Like it, we we're well past that. Like mm-hmm. it's not about tolerating each other. It's about seeing each other and providing support and providing, you know, perspective and help and also just cheering people on. Like there's a deficit of love in the world for children uh, for so many different reasons. So to see men find lots of different ways to be a dad, as long as they're being the most themselves and hopefully not as much the parts that are filled with trauma and filled with sort of ignorance, though we all have that, um, the beautiful thing is, is you're, you, you would bring a unique perspective to that single parenting that could change someone's life for the better and then provide change for others. And there's no amount of partners in that conversation necessary to love a child. It just is who, whoever is in that driver's seat, whoever is like piloting that, that journey, as long as that person is committed to it and, you know, is committed also to finding and bringing the most of themselves to that conversation. I think kids are better for it because kids need it. They need to see someone who's authentically themselves. And so there are things that I do. And this is, I think what you're talking about with the conversation with Jared and I, we each have skills and um, passions and things that we bring to that conversation with our kids. You know, I feel like for Jared, a big part of it is adventure and exploration and pushing themselves and finding who they are in those moments of like that exploration and that, and that diligence, you know, Um, Jared is such a hard worker and such a loyal person and such a uh, wants to take care of everybody um, all the time, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, And for me, you know, some of those like gender rolled things like empathy and, you know, um, that sort of care that were for a long time relegated only to women as these sort of matriarch figures, that is an area where I thrive with my kids. Like I taking care of them when they're upset or they're hurt. You know, I was a stay at home dad for about eight, nine months of my first child's life. Uh, it just worked out that way. Um, I, you know, it, it, the, the sort of logistics lined up and I have such a close bond with that child with, he, they are my, we are each other's person in a lot of ways from that depth. And I think the bigger message to men and dads in general is the more you invest, the more return, you know, emotionally, intellectually, you get to know that person and that you show them how much you're there and showing up for them. It 
it's, you know, it's, you're just investing and the return on that investment. It's just pays huge dividends. Yeah. I, I've been talking to a friend lately. Cause now I'm like, what if I just like have a kid by myself? Like it's been yeah. a really legitimate conversation lately. Yeah. Um, the older I, I get and I'm like, I'm like, I'm, and it kind of branched from a friend of mine who like loves traveling, but didn't want to travel because she was single. And I was like, what is this? She's like, well, what if I have, like, have a partner who wants to travel? I'm like, do you think this person's waiting around for you to decide you want to be with them? Like it was this whole thing we had to unpack <laughs> with her one day. It was wild. Uh, um, but now I'm to a point of like, I don't have to wait for someone to have a baby technically. Yeah. Um, and I'm also like, if I, and I had a lot of friends like, Brie, if you have a kid, like your kid won't feel any, like you're saying any sort of like they missed out on anything because they'll have like a whole community of people, which I think is, yeah. is really beautiful. And that's very much how I was raised. I come from a very large family, but then like friends of friends, people, my parents worked with, like it was never just them ever. Like yeah. it was definitely, it took a village for sure. Um, and I think about that now with like my style of parenting, when I get older, I'm like, my kid won't just learn from me. Right. Like they'll have all these, these people in their life. So yeah. Also, parent, uh, I, parenting is terrifying. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I think it's also the people you choose to surround yourself with. You know, I grew up in Bay Area, um, very bohemian moment and sort of segueing into more of that. Like it, it was on a it was on a climb after that. But like that moment, I lived a block or two off the Castro. You know, I went to school a block off the Castro. So I grew up in this sort of enclave of, you know, intense bohemia. And my, there was a point at which, you know, my father was less around, uh, starting around seven years old ish where they, you know, they, they split. Um, and I, looking back on it, my mom made a concerted effort to have male figures in my life that were in her life or finding those figures and putting me in sort of spaces and classes and things. So like, martial arts over here with a strong sort of male presence and like these different places where I could draw from. Um, and I think regardless of whatever the parenting um, sort of scenario is in terms of the coupling or the partnering or the sort of distance or proximity of those people to a child's life, it's something we should be engaged in anyway. We should be finding those figures and those people, those teachers that can help flesh out who that person is, you know, across a, a wide number of you know, avenues. So that, that was something I will say, you know, was super helpful for me because I could also see different styles of masculinity. I could sort of see, uh, I could have some choice over it rather than like, you're stuck with a dad who is X, Y, Z. Um, that was helpful because then I could sort of define that more clearly for myself and, and look to people in my life as a child and then draw from that and decide, is this the person I want to be? Like, is that like, who, who am I around? You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I also think it's super interesting of like thinking about masculinity and whiteness, but then also yeah. in the fact that like your full-time job is like now doing good in the world. <laughs> and that for me, my brain explodes sometimes because my background is in social work and having for so long always seen so many people of color doing the work like on the ground and then yeah. like seeing yeah. more like executive level C-suite people who are white and wealthy in, in that sort of lens um yeah. 
but I think over the last year of getting to know you and in the work that you've been doing to like bring more good into the world, I would just really love to know how that started, how you ended up from <laughs> Netflix and Fox to now, <laughs> literally to this, this, this wild worldwide scavenger hunt that is yeah. just, I can't think of a better word than wild. Like the stuff that y'all it, do is wild, just like. Yeah. I don't know how brava to you to keeping all of it <laughs> together because but it's bananas. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, so good. Yeah. I um so Gish stands for Greatest International Scavenger Hunt. Uh, it is a week long experience that has happened every year for ten years. Uh, it was started by Misha Collins, and <clears throat> it it has grown over the years to be an incredible force for good, um, largely in. in due to the fact that Misha uh, loves a bit of chaos and a bit of do-gooding in equal parts. Um, I think if Misha had his way, you know, people would be given a week off from work. People would shut down shops for a week and people would just go out and do weird stuff and good stuff and kindness and spread all sorts of, you know, shenanigans around the world. Um, Gish is... An interesting, an interesting story. So I've, I've, I met Misha, I think, I want to say 10, 15 years ago uh, on a lark. Um, uh, he and uh, another gentleman named Philip, um, I've known Philip for a long, long time. And um, the two of them are <clears throat> like a, a yin and yang um, sort of combination of creativity. Um, they're very similar in some ways, but they're, they have different acumen and they have different sort of, uh, skill sets. And what they were able to start was something that allows for people to come from different sorts of, you know, psychographic groups. So what that means is the reason people do GISH essentially can be varied, but the result is the same. Mm -hmm. So the math, the simple math is you participate in what feels or is sort of similar to a scavenger hunt. But what you get as a result is gamifying doing good. And you can be a competitive, you know, narcissistic person who wants to win a game uh, at all costs. And you can take a philanthropic do-gooding person like yourself and that like just an angelic personality and you, and the net result is the same. Um, and so essentially the process of the scavenger hunt changes the world and changes the, the world of the person playing and participating because we essentially put people in scenarios where they have to think laterally or outside the box or destroy the box entirely. They have to try to connect with other people in various ways which before the pandemic looked a certain way and during the pandemic has looked a little bit different because we want to keep people safe, but it really forces people to push their boundaries um, and then connects people in a global sense. Um, The teams that win, I don't think there's ever been a team with less than two countries or three countries. Uh, And and in some cases, the winning teams were five plus countries, all sort of a hodgepodge together um, of people who, doing their utmost best to try to inject the world with a little bit of strange, interesting art and, you know, kind community service. Um, so the, so about four or five years ago, 
uh, I was running, you know, essentially like marketing and digital marketing campaigns and social media uh, for a number of different studio uh, sort of projects. And it was an amazing experience. You know, I love, I love, I love TV and film. I, I love storytelling, but there was a piece missing for me, I think, in the world that I wanted to give my children. And I think that's, that's the Achilles heel really that Philip and Misha got me on was like, are you doing enough good in your life? And I was like, no, I'm not. I mean, I do some, I commute, I volunteer. And they're like, no, no, no. Are you like, are you giving a world to your kids that you're going to be proud of and that you helped change? And I said, no, no, I'm not. I am an awful person. And they're like, right. Do you also like to travel around the world? And I was like, who doesn't, Misha, who, who would say no to a trip to somewhere incredible? They're like, well, if you want to change the world and also visit it, come work with us. And I was like, okay, fine. Um, but twist your arm, clearly. Twist my arm. Uh, so they, and they, the other thing was I have wanted, I had wanted to go to Iceland for like five plus years. And that was the trip they were about to take. So then there, the pressure was like, well, we're going to Iceland with the winners. And I was like, <laughs> you guys are assholes. Um, <laughs> so that's been the past four plus four plus years for me is how do we make this game more accessible, um, more powerful um, and more creative. And, you know, each year we learn something, especially through, you know, COVID and all these different uh, global or national events that are taking place, different presidents, different um, issues of the day. And we basically try to point and shoot people at either learning and improving their understanding of, of a topic uh, or, you know, try to do something meaningful and less performative about it. But it's really hard because a lot of the actions that take place in the scavenger hunt, it's hard for it not to be performative because you're just asking them to do something in a really narrow window. Mm. So, but <clears throat> the power of change by being close to or in proximity to these different groups and different topics, we've definitely seen a lot of people who would have never had contact. And I feel like that about the supernatural fandom in general is you have this interesting grouping of people who are, you know, pious and then sort of marginalized, you know, for their sexuality or their identity. Like you have that, that group of people coexisting in the same space. If they can do that, you know, to varying degrees, depending on what's happening in, the, in that fandom, but if they can come together and do great things together and work together side by side, then why can't we try to do that in a game space and see what the net result will be to change the world? Also, I don't know why I thought I heard you said you met Misha at a LARP. That's why I was asking. <laughs> a LARP? That's what I heard. You said I met I... him on a LARP and I heard a LARP oh, and I'm like... Mm. That wouldn't, I laugh yes. like it doesn't surprise me if you two he had legit met during a li live action role play. A it large broadsword. It wouldn't, I had there would be no shock in my face at all. I know. The weird thing is, is you could say about anything and you could say it could be any context. You're like, we were at a banana peel convention and you'd be like, sure. Yeah. That makes sense. On it, brand. Actually. For sure. Like the guy, the guy is, um, he he's filled with so much uh possibility at all times about anything that's where the chaos it's not really chaos it's just infinite sort of 
yeah what next what do you what are we, what what could happen right now and that's that's what we've come to expect Just from Misha keeping you on your toes constantly I don't uh, I didn't say that you said that I, I said it no no I that was I was bringing my stuff into this situation okay you're bringing your take yeah I'm bringing my I, take I mean I've read about this. that kind of thing in books before where somebody yeah, yeah. keeps yeah. some on well on their toes yeah, yeah. I mm-hmm. feel like every time I talk to him I never know what to expect and also I'm always like oh my god what is it like it's like this yeah. excited nervousness every time I talk to him I'm like like holding my breath it's always great I just it's just yeah um when I decided to join random acts I had yeah. said it in passing to Rachel and then like six months later Misha called and was like hey I heard and I was like oh I didn't think any of you were actually listening when I said this mm which now I've learned a lesson. Don't um, say anything don't, you don't want to yeah. manifest mm-hmm. around Misha. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Joking about something? It's going to happen. No. Between, yeah, I, I can't. Yeah. So every time I, the phone rings, and I see Misha, make like, okay, prepare. <laughs> it's going to be great. Yeah, yeah. What, Just what center yourself. <laughs> take a couple breaths. Swipe that I'll, open. We can we can share some notes after this. I'll, I'll give you some, some really good coping <laughs> I, techniques. I can't wait. Um, I can't wait. It, it's... Well, first of all, congratulations on the, the board. Thank it's obviously you. well deserved. And, oh, and thank you. I'm very excited. Um, they're lucky to have you, in my opinion. Oh my they're, gosh! Thanks. You bring an incredible perspective, especially in the in social work and also in the activities that you've done in Austin so well to help protect people and bring other perspectives. Like that's that's precisely what you know every organization needs to evolve and grow and do better and do more good. Um, so they're lucky to have you, but, uh, I'm also excited for that because I feel like random acts has been a powerful force and, you know, getting, getting the right people in the room is, is so key to that, you know, mm-hmm. um, to, I actually target the areas that need big change fast, you know? Yeah. So that, yeah. I was having a conversation. So this is, this is the fifth or sixth board I've sat on. Yep. Let's, let's that go sounds sixth. right. I think that it's sixth. Right. Um, 20th, maybe? It's, <laughs> we're still in single digits. Um, okay. But I was having a conversation the other day with, uh, with Chris about talking about diversity, number one. And then number two, my background is in fundraising. And I think a lot yeah. of people think if you're not writing a check with 17 zeros after it, you're not doing anything. And so when you said like making things more accessible, more powerful, more creative. That's exactly my take on fundraising of like, you don't have to, the the person who gives $5, I have the same amount of love for the person who gives $5,000. Like you are taking so totally. a thing that you've earned and had to work for and giving it back. And, you know, especially with younger activists who maybe have, you know, they can invest volunteer hours right now and not funds or the person who's just right in their career and they can only give quote, only give, um, maybe like $10 a month. And, and that's been my whole big thing with Austin is Austin is still very a predominantly white city and having to mm-hmm. unpack what being anti-racist and anti-ableist and anti all these things actually means in a city that yeah. is coining itself as so liberal and so progressive. And still you have people who are literally being turned into people who can't find housing or can't afford food or we have food deserts. And, yeah. you know, it's it's been a wild almost six years here wild um and and just like never you know I just decided to go back into consulting full-time and nervous excited of like what would that look like but I feel like I'll be fine because this is literally 
I feel like what I was put on this earth to do is cause good trouble for, for lack of a better yeah, term is yeah. like, I just, I, I come from a family that is like, you can't just sit by and do nothing. Like since I was five years old, I've been like, you have to, you, who you are matters, your platform matters. You have mm. a voice in whatever room you want to be in, do something with it. And so I think that's also why like all of us are like, so connected of like, how can we use the 24 hours in a day <laughs> to, yeah. to, to cause the most, the most good. And it's just been, it's just been bananas this last it year. Is banana, sure. It is bananas. Bananas. I, and I, I think that's something about you that I, I have really enjoyed is being righteous about stuff is, is tricky. Being righteous uh, can come from a place of fear and insecurity and, and, and look at first like confidence and like, you know, uh, surety and, you know, certainty. But there's a, a certain kind of confidence that you have that's really powerful because it, 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 it prompts others to be confident about themselves. It, it prompts other people to be kinder and, and more understanding when I've been around you. I think, you know, we, we've seen the, the fallout of people who are so certain and confident and righteous and have nothing to stand on, you know, in take uh, positions of power for the past at forever. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, in these, and more recently in the past, you know, those last four years, watching people with utmost confidence perpetrate terrible things and, and spin reality into something that doesn't exist. Um, but when it's done from a place of such acceptance and wanting to hold space for others, there's nothing more powerful than that. And that's why I think you consulting and you being on the board and those things is such an important move uh, that we need more people who want to make trouble for those who make troubles for others and do good to support those who need it most, uh, especially the people who can't speak up, especially the people who uh, don't have the resources. I totally agree with you. We, we just did a fundraiser for, and we're actively still engaged in it, um, for uh, a children's ward in Afghanistan. Uh, talk about a group of people. Children in Afghanistan represent like 30 to 40% of the casualties there. And it's now that the numbers are going to be going up. I don't even know what that will be. But the, the, the donation amount, you know, there was 9,500 plus donors to that campaign. There is nothing wrong with even not being able to donate and just spreading the message to get other people to know about it if that's the resource that you have to bring to bear, uh, the ex exclusionary tactic of saying you have to donate lots of zeros is, you know, a form of, of, uh, of bigotry in a certain way. Like we, we can't, we can't say no to people who want to help. Uh -huh. the, the trick is how do we mobilize people in a way that's meaningful and uses the resources and skills of those people to the, to the best of our, their ability. So uh, I'm hopeful in that way. And, and because you have the same sort of mentality, like I, I know you'd probably agree. We need everyone's shoulder to shoulder to hold space and protect people and upend some of these systems. Um, and a lot, like I was saying earlier, the people who hold those systems in place or who are perpetrating that, the people who look like those people, especially, um, you know, I, the world doesn't need another podcast with a white guy with opinions, in my opinion. Like, that's that's the reason I think that, like, I could go out tomorrow and be like, 
the, the, even, uh, you know, and, and do something. But I think where we can be most helpful is in the actual work and commenting on it from a perspective of how do we, how do we shift, shift our mindsets and our, uh, our perspective by being more in touch with other groups of people, you know, the more, and it's, we see that in the scavenger hunt, the more diverse a team is, the more chance for success because the way we program the content and the challenges requires people to step outside of who and where they are and what they are. And if the, if it's, you know, a, a, a single homogenized group of people, you're going to be shit out of luck. <laughs> That's the whole point is it, yeah. it's a game. It's something to overcome and to change. So uh, no matter where someone is or what resources they have, you know, um, they have something to offer. Yeah. And speaking of resources, I feel like that is a perfect segue to talk about town and yes. sustainability. Yes. <laughs> and the excitement. I've been this a long time and the excitement around, oh, man. around that. I just, yeah, take us, take us through town. Tell us what it is. Cause yeah. I'm, I'm jazzed about that as well. So town is, is, uh, stands for take only what we need. Um, and it's an idea Jen Padalecki had some years ago. Um, and when she told me about it, I was instantly, I mean, Jen and I are, I feel like Jen is like a sister to me. I feel like this is a person and we have similar backgrounds too. It's really wild. We have these, like, we got to know each other, uh, at the marathon up in Seattle. We, you know, both spent time in the Bay area. We both spent time in the wilderness and the woods, um, we her, actually, I think her mom lives not like 50, 10, 15 minutes away from me. Um, they, sh she and I sort of connected over this shared idea about parenthood and parenting too, because she talks, you know, about her family and stuff and her platforms. And I had spent like a decade doing that. So our initial conversations were really about parenting and sustaining ourselves and, you know, being better stewards of the planet. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not a perfect environmentalist by any means. There's a lot of work I need to do um, on how I live. And it's a, it's a slow incremental progress. And that's the heart of what town is. The idea is that if we can remove some of the barriers to sustaining ourselves, or sorry, sustaining the planet, um, and do incremental progress and not be all or nothing about it, that there's a lot that's possible. Because that also imagines a world in which environmentalism isn't just for people with wealth or people who are white or, mm -hmm. you know, people from a certain, even a political spectrum. Like, for some reason, taking care of the planet has been put into this, like, liberal mm -hmm. progressive category. When if I go talk to a farmer or I go talk to someone who's a sustainable hunter who subsists off of the land they care about the environment. There's no question about it. The motives and reasons and sort of long-term long, long -term thinking may vary, but if we can get past the debate about climate change and just work towards solutions and innovation, largely we care about these places. We care about our national parks. We care about, which also, you know, sh the conversation around national parks should be had in terms of who lived there before people made them national parks. These are just kindnesses and looking at the world in a different way. So, she essentially said, I feel like there is a platform or something that helps people 
help sustain the planet in some way without leaving people out of it. Mm-hmm. That we are here and to be better guardians and stewards of the planet, we also have to take care of ourselves and put our oxygen mask on first. And that was the first time I felt like someone had spoken to me in a way that didn't silo environmentalism or sustainability conversations or being green and removing the human element out of it. Because being a martyr for the planet can burn people out, Mm -hmm. but we're burning the planet out. So we need solutions that help both people and planet. And where GISH for me uh, combines play with the platform for doing good and combining those things and making them part of the same conversation, we need to do the same with our planet and how we take care of ourselves. So if we can find solutions to take care of ourselves more and better and have those conversations, where the community itself is also providing some of those because there's a lot of brilliance out there. But we're, we're taking care of the planet um, in a way that doesn't cause a deficit for ourselves. We'll be better for it. So uh, I'd say like a year and a half, two years ago, I don't know, what is time? Pandemic. Doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't even matter anymore. It's just about the idea to concept to execution, right? So it's just been this evolving thing. And back in February, um, town launched and, you know, I haven't, I haven't talked a lot about it because I also want the platform to be its own thing. It's, it's not about me. Mm-hmm. It's about a community. It's, and, and Jen has an incredible ability to rally people toward doing good or doing good for themselves. I've seen her do it with, you know, her running, uh, and, you know, run, training for that marathon, she got a lot of people to come out, thousands of people actually, to come out and start going, I'm going to be mobile and active and, and or increase my level of activity where I can. Um, and we all have areas of improvement that we can do to, to create longevity for ourselves and, and well-being. And she has an incredible ability to sort of call people to action that way. So we talked about it for a long time. So, you know, um, we, it's just the three, it's just three of us. It's, it's me, Jen and uh, Kelly. And the three of us um, are looking at widening who comes onto that team so that we widen the perspective uh, and, and diversify that perspective. We're looking at how we can spotlight people from different backgrounds and, and, different sort of bases around the world, different experiences, different income levels. Because again, hiking, birding, as we saw, like a person can't even go out and bird. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's unacceptable. Like these places should be open and the access should be open to all. Because for me, I've been, and sorry, I'm going on a rant here because I really feel I'm pissed off about it, quite frankly. I've been going to Yosemite since I was two years old, a year old, um, and traveling to the woods. I'm going actually next week to go off grid for four or five days, but those places aren't allowing everybody in and environmentalism has the same issue. And just like with feminism, I've learned more about feminism in three or four years from women of color than I have in my entire life. So too with environmentalism and sustainability. Intersectional environmentalism has taught me more about environmentalism in the past two, three years than, or so than I've learned in my entire life. Mm-hmm. Because it's not enough to 
care about the environment and like segue into different products that are less harmful. It's also about the mindset of who the planet is for and how we're serving the planet, which then also serves indigenous communities, um, practices that actually, you know, um, Jen and I talked to Green for All. They were doing very, they're doing very interesting things where they're trying to check a, a number of boxes at the same time. They're trying to make the infrastructure for public transit in the East Bay here more green. So they're finding electric vehicles. They're also then training and hiring people from those communities to operate and, and do mechanics on those and then operate them. So you're, you're checking off three or four boxes where, again, the redlining of the environment then puts people in highly industrialized areas where there's a ton of pollution, people are getting sick, and this is all coming from a racial thing. So stop segmenting these areas of, of do-gooding and start finding where they touch the touch points of them. And you're going to be able to, to catalyze massive change by supporting initiatives that are incremental and important and check off more than just one box. Because we're not just one box. We are many boxes being checked in any given moment with a lot of dimensions to them, with a lot of like background resources and where do we like, what do we have to bring to the bear? So um, that's what town is. Town is a, a journey of looking for solutions to, to burn out for both planet and people in a way that is trying to remove the exclusivity out of that conversation, remove the anxiety out of that and the perfectionism of if I don't do it this exact way, I'm a total piece of shit. I can do what I can in this moment now and I can build on that and keep building because in reality, the individual is not the issue here. Mm -hmm. It's literally the government, governments and, and corporations are the attributable factors to most of these issues. Yep. So being told that we're the problem and then we're burning out over the problem is unacceptable. We could all start riding bikes tomorrow and it wouldn't really solve anything because. Well, Jen had a conversation. Uh, I watched a book club she did um, and there was a huge sustainability expert there uh, from NYU. And he said, we can no longer vegetarianism our way out of climate change. That's a scary thought. There's no amount of like, meatless yep. Mondays that are going to change that. This is a, a catastrophic level on a global scale caused mostly by governments and corporations operating in ways, especially that affect people of color. I mean, mm -hmm. BIPOC communities, you look at Canada, they, they mur straight up murdered people mm -hmm. for oil. And now those are, or, or go to Ecuador and the, the work that Amazon watch is doing that community of ancestral lands is now off limits because they will get abrasions and lesions on their skin from touching the water. So we, you can have a personal mindset and change your consumption and then that will affect co corporations. But really the larger thing is to, yeah. to force the conversation to happen on that larger scale. I just need the world to like get it together. <laughs> I mean, get your shit together world. I just I was excited because I the composter I ordered will be in in two months and I was like yes nice. it's changing the world and I'm like wait <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing my part but then the rest of you need you to like not I'm so excited about this composter by the way I don't even plan I'm, 
I just want to. Did you? Okay. So we got a little composter and this, I also blame Jen for this. Like I, that's fair. I, I didn't grow food. I didn't do any, I didn't compost. Like this is all her fault. It is for me. That freaking garden and those damn chickens. Stupid garden and stupid chickens. And then her her, kids cooking and then cooking all that stuff. Like, come on. And her kids enjoying it. Rude. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. My kids love planting now. We like, we're getting, we're like collecting earthworms and putting them in the, the raised beds and stuff. And, and that's the other thing too, is like talking to people like, you know, I, I've known Natasha Nichols for some time, but deepening that relationship and her giving me resources on where to do that. And then in turn, trying to support her and her efforts, you know, or the people that Jen's connected me with, you know, Sweetwater Farm in, in uh, Houston. Um, my friends from a friend from high school is working on uh, a big um, there's a, a black farming collective up in Oregon. And again, trying to step outside my own sort of bubble and community and being involved and entrenched in other communities as a, as a support and also as a, as a student, you know, and seeing how many black farmers there used to be and how many black farmers there are now. Like, mm-hmm. these are things that if we don't, if we don't know them, we'll just sort of like move on with our lives and not know about it. And then mm-hmm. nothing changes, you know, or it gets worse. Yeah. I was thinking about the conversation around it environmentalism of like like you were saying there's so many people of color have been doing this forever like if we look back to indigenous and native folk like they used everything they garden everything and then you had people who colonized came in and disrupted everything and we see this I'm still always like in the back of my mind every so often I just have clean water like I have to sit and ask myself these questions it's like what is still happening and then we look at asthma and the black community and it's usually because there's a lot of like industrial plants where black communities are because they don't care um yeah there's just so much that goes into it and i'm just always like (laughs) am i what can i do but 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 that's why like for me like if you can get your seeds from a black vendor yeah why like that resource is right there for you like we take taking the business away and that's something else too is you know with town as we start to like fill out the roster of who's involved and who we're spotlighting and and who's in the room, it's the nature is designed for diversity as a, as a means to survival. The more diverse an area is and biodiversity is a huge thing in farming. You know, when you, there's some really great documentaries, if anybody wants to watch them, biggest little farm, you know, um, what is it? Touch the ground, touch the earth. There's a bunch of documentaries that basically the underlying theme in it, even though it's not always stated, is that diversity is the key to success. So why are we trying to extricate ourselves from that system mm-hmm. and pretend like we don't exist in the same way that colonial uh, colonialism try to say, like, I'm going to I'm going to take this group of people. I'm going to civilize like mm-hmm. you're you're creating an arbitrary and violent means for change that has nothing to do and no consent within that thing so too with the ground with the food we eat so jen and i are big listeners right now to a lot of communities where they're doing amazing work and jen's a great connector she has an incredible power she connected us so obviously she's really good at it so she's i mean really to be fair i feel like misha connected us first but i'm not gonna no that's true let's take, not discount misha i'm not, I'm not gonna <laughs> well 
physically over it you're right you're right physically we got to meet him well i had to hunt you down so i feel like that's true you did never gonna forget that anyway jen connected us listen (laughs) (laughs) anyway jen's an incredible connector she has an uh, an incredible magnetism for really interesting really brilliant people and her in that role has been awesome to watch because people come out of the woodwork that want to embark on that conversation about change and about taking the things that we need and not taking more than that. And also learning, you know, that's something that Jen said to me was there are these old ways of doing things that worked really well. So I have this theory that if we just can get back to those from these groups of people that knew about it and supporting those communities in the process, like there's a win-win there. Um, And so, you know, fewer items, fewer things, you know, if town ever has a shop, I'm sure it will say, don't buy the shit. Like it'll just be a big banner that is anti-consumerism in that way, but buying more thoughtfully and doing it for a purpose, you know, whether it's, you know, using less water or, or taking more time for yourself and journaling, there are ways to do that, that have a net positive for both the person and the planet. And it may be that shifting that mindset a little bit. So for the person who cares about the planet, taking care of themselves a little bit for the, so that they're better guardians for the person that cares about themselves, but doesn't really think about the planet, some ways to create efficiencies around taking care and incrementally doing better for the planet without it impacting someone and burning them out because some people can't afford these expensive things. Some people can't afford, they have jobs and children and, you know, these things, what do we give to that person to have them be part of that conversation in a way that also has a net positive, you know, um, and shoulder the burden for people who can do it in the ways that they can. I'm not to add more pressure to your life again. I know you're busy. Um, but now I also need, I also, aside from the book, you said no podcast. What about like a TV show? Like every week you just come a YouTube, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. And you just do like a weekly check-in of like, Hey, this is what we all can be doing. I just feel like the world deserves to hear the, the beautiful things that you were doing um, or the, the beautiful people that you're working with. You know, you can, yeah. you can shift attention. Sure. Definitely. Um, but yeah. Um, just I- like, on the case with Capen is like it's like it's, it's, it's right there. I just feel like did you just come up with I that? Did. that? I did. I did. Capen it real with Charlie. Capen Cape it real. I, you're welcome. Um, coming this fall. This is all coming. Yeah, this is great. Actually, I did have one time I said this jokingly, but then I was like, oh, that's actually. It was like uh, I talked to a another again another like cishet white guy, and I was like, you know what we need? We need like you're doing it wrong with the two of us in the hosting chair where we just have people from marginalized communities come on and tell us how we're getting all this shit wrong. And then it's literally like, Hey, if you, if you have like a kind of a fetish for hearing white guys apologize, like you're going to love this show. I'm actually subscribed already. Um, okay. okay. (laughs) Yeah. I've bought the shirt. Um, sustainably made t-shirt by the way, sustainably Um, made t-shirt. But I'm, uh, of yeah. white guys apologize it's made I, simply made from the just, tears uh, the tears the yeah. tears and the acceptance that we have uh our time our time is over we I, honestly i think i'm 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 here for 
uh, you know, people other than me in leadership positions because we, we've we've had long enough to sort of figure this out and let's open those doors. Uh, she should run as a great organization too. That I'm, I, love, I love them. I love them. We we actually you know the first, one of the first years that we did Gish, um, I was connected to them through uh, a friend Jess Weiner who was the reason I was at the White House, by the way. Um, she's an incredible human being. That name sounds so familiar. She is a change maker. She has led uh, rebranding efforts for major corporations and companies. She was um, the person behind a lot of the changes in the Disney princess culture and the sizing of the body, uh, body shapes and types for Barbie. She's led stuff at change at Google. She's uh, dove women shifted into that, like the sketch, the sketch artist uh, series where women were asked to describe themselves and then they sketched them. She has, is such a change maker, she, but she, um, she, she's an incredible human being. Sorry, I go on a roll about her. You're, she's you're incredible. Fine. Um, but uh, the, who are we talking about? No, I don't even know. Now I'm just obsessed with Jess Weiner again. And then we like, were talking about she should run in Gish. She should run. So she connected me with she should run. So at Gish, um, we worked with them and said, you have to like get five qualified female candidates to run for office as a challenge in the hunt. And it didn't matter if it was like city or school board or any of it, which is like get, get mm-hmm. people commit to run and announce it. And we had like thousands of people, thousands of women go, yes, I'm going to go run for this office or that. And it was just because it was a game and organizations like that and others that are, you know, pushing that, pushing that envelope. Her awesome. name sounds so familiar. I'll have to Google later. She's a big deal. She's, she sound, her name is like in my brain. It's like, you know, this, you know, that's like the connectors yeah. are trying to connect. Um, yeah. I'm obsessed with she, she run. Another mutual friend of ours, Danielle, is constantly trying to get me to run for office in Texas. And I keep telling her, no, I, my patience is thin for Texas. I cannot. Would vote, I, would vote for if I lived in Texas. You don't because you're selfish. I. Well, oh, wow. Shots just, fired. Just want to circle back to that. I feel like I would be the, I love Cori Bush so much. I feel like I'd be yeah. the Cori Bush of Texas and it would just be, it would, it would I, be a sight to be seen is what I'm going to go with. I would, I, so I, I will, yeah, if you need a, a digital, if you need a digital campaign manager. You are like the I, seventh person to volunteer for a campaign. Would, well, I will fight it. all of them. <laughs> I will, they, they will probably beat me up, but I will totally get in there. Fair. Put, yeah. Put my hat in the ring because uh, you uh, should. I will love to run for office. It's just. It's, it's another thing that keeps people, marginalized groups from running. Like the cost of running for office is yeah. astronomical sometimes. Yeah. And, you know, there's so many stipulations and things in place where you can only have this many people give to this campaign if it's a local election versus yeah. if you are running for any other sort of office, it's this. And then city council also is great. I love what they do. I listen to every city, city every single city council call, but I can't yeah. be in a 12 hour call every day. I will lose my mind. There, they have like 12 hours of testimony one day. And I was like, wow. absolutely not. Um, wow. But then it's also like the governor just gets bored and like shuts down everything we do anyway. So I'm like, yeah, I'm always like the governor can't be this. Like if he wins, this is his last term he can serve. So we'll see what happens. Um, yeah. I'm hoping that someone else runs. I'm not going to say 
there are people I hope don't run. Yes. Like my girl, Stacey Abrams lost her race. She went and did good work. And then we'll see what she decides to do next. She did the real work. She's the reason why so much happened this year. Are you kidding? Like that's, she did the real work. She put in the real time. And then we can thank her for that. I don't know. Just a thought. Get that T right there. Yep. I just, yeah, I just, I I have a lot of feelings about running Mm. for office constantly. Yeah. That I just, I, you know, I'm like the most liberal, liberal to ever liberal. And I'm always like, Mm -hmm. We'd have universal health care. We'd have universal pre-K. We'd get rid of student okay. debt. We Everything would be green. I want everything switched over. Why are we losing? Why don't we have solar panels on every single apartment building? Questions. What, like just things like this, you know, just. Just simple, simple, uh, doable. Simple I mean, solutions. But it's the gatekeeping. The gatekeeping keeps people who would upend these fraudulent systems Mm-hmm. from ever being able to t- think about it it's i mean similar to tax codes like you oh, you you make it so complex that no one can understand it and only a select few can handle it mm-hmm. and then everybody's afraid of it or everybody just glosses it over because they're too tired and they're just exhausted they're burnt out and you know whatever i think that's why she should run is so interesting to me Love is that. there an incubator to help get that leg up on the system and do training and coaching and hopefully help more people from different places and backgrounds and sort of identities take, take leadership positions. That's a pretty simple mission that should be happening across the board. Yeah. So I go back, let's circle back this time next year, um, okay. August 22nd, 2022. Okay. Um, my calendar, let, please let's see yeah. where I am in a year. Um, because Lord knows I love to dismantle shit. Because I mean, that's, that's why I, that was another reason I started at Gish is I get to, I get to, what's the phrase? Misha likes to say gum up the works. I like to say fuck shit up, but that's just cause I'm, I'm a terrible, terrible No, no, person. no. We listen, we all are valid. We gum up the works. Are, <laughs> are you saying my expression is valid yeah, yeah, there? Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. That's fine. Fuck shit up is great. I personally love the poor lighter fluid on the fandom thing you have noted here. I feel like that's uh-huh. really great. Okay. Go ahead. Hmm. I, it's funny because I like when people ask me what I did for a living before Gish, um, the big thing for me was like lighting the internet on fire was a, a constant thing. So I worked with Marvel and I worked with these different places on kind of creating communities, but then having them light up. And I used to call myself, I was like a sort of a Swiss army knife because I know how to do a lot of different things on the internet sure. after having done a lot of different things on the internet. And then uh, I used a phrase like digital arsonist for a while. And now I feel like I can't use that because literally my state is on fire most of the time and mm-hmm. I, it's awful and it's directly attributable to climate issues, obviously, but also we are, you know, we're without water. And so then I stopped using that, but yeah. yeah. I'm so sorry. We need to circle back to the fact that your nickname isn't Swiss army knife. Swiss army knife. That, yeah. Like why it's is better it, than like, why isn't your name Charlie? Swiss Army knife, Caitlin. I have questions. Um, I just, I just have questions. That's a good one. Thank you. Um, I, I'm just concerned that on your your brand. You're, you're concerned. Yeah. For my branding. Your branding. I feel like people. Well, what is my know. brand, Bree? Like maybe you could help me. Do I have you're, to hire you though? I should hire you for that. If you <laughs> um, off the top of my head right now. Um, mm-hmm. mm, no, the holds bar do gutter. I feel like it's okay. the most like PC work 
PC, PG way to put it. Um, mm-hmm. That doesn't, it's vague enough that people are interested, but also vague enough to give you space to get wild. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Just get real buck on it. Just really go. Yeah. Just, yeah. You know, I love it. That's what people signed up for. Um, I yeah. also, you also told me to circle back to talking about all downhill, which I feel like. <laughs> um and balance which is i'm not i just feel like i had to bring it back because you told me to bring it up today um well i and this is this is actually another thing that jess and i just wiener and i have talked about we have these varying views of balance and having it all i actually wrote for lean in when it first started um and i was the only man who had written for lean in which is kind of wild i uh, wrote about the perspective of having it all and all of that. And it's interesting because that conversation has really evolved in a pretty big way. You know, I think there's um, intense pressure on women to be so many things. So in the, in the face of not being allowed into rooms, and which is still happening, there's now an added pressure of being all of the things. So if you can be something, if you can wear pants now, now you have to be everything to everybody all the time. And that's, that's intense and not, not fair in my opinion. Um, but there's an, uh, an intense pressure on mothers too, that, uh, that they, you know, express themselves in a number of different ways. They have a lot of facets, people have facets to themselves, but now, you know, you need to show up for your kid and show up for work and show up for your friends and show up for yourself and show up for, you know, all these different things. And Jess and I were talking about the fact that, um, balance feels like, a really great concept that in practice is really difficult that rather than focusing on having it all or balancing all the time, it's about harmonizing those parts when there's those low points, finding those up points and and adding that note or that, you know, that resonance there of something that then adds the harmony to it because balance to me I mean, listen, I, I, I work with Misha and doing Gish. Balance is one of those things for a week where, you know, we're not sleeping all of us together. And that's the other thing too, because people will come at me and be like, you don't have to do the hunt. You just sit there and just watch us suffer. And I was like, do you realize that my job is essentially this, is what you do in a week, but like 365 days of the year, I live the over, you know, the, the impossible mission all the time. So I'm not like throwing stones into glass houses here. Like mm-hmm. this is, this is a constant thing for me where I, I, we, Misha will say, I want an eight foot stuffed bear with a GPS locator in it to be, should travel from one side of the country to the other side of the country. And we're like, cool. I don't know how we're going to do that, but we're going to do it. And then we have to figure it out. So our whole thing is a gish hunt list. You know what I mean? Um, so that the few people, it's only really like five to seven people that make this thing happen. And um, so balance to me is not about equilibrium as much as it is harmony, adding harmony and sort of harmonics to something. So if you're at this up moment, recognizing that there are people who are suffering, if you're in this down moment, adding in something that lifts you is my sense of balance rather than trying to create a stasis or equilibrium with two forces all the time. Cause I feel like that's a lot of pressure. So the downhill part of that, which is the big thing is this year I hit a milestone birthday. Um, 
And I had to sit with myself in a pretty big way. I had to sit with myself and to some degree too, like my lineage and my past and who I am and what I want and really staring into what a life means and how much time I have left. And that was a hard thing to sit with because it's arbitrary, but you hit a certain point, you know, in your life or an age and that can happen along the way. I, I mean, at 25, I felt like I had sort of a quarter life crisis. Like I, there are different things that happen along the way. So Absolutely. I'm not discounting youth necessarily, Brie, you youngin. Um, we are only but, 10 years apart. Rain it in. Listen. <laughs> Rain it in. I'm, I told I you, mentally, I'm you like 35. I'm like 35 in my brain. So it's fine. Well, I thought I did all this work to like really understand my mortality too. Cause I've, I've always been old since I was little. Like I've just always been that way. And, you know, Same. it was interesting too. Cause like, yeah, I know I, that's probably part of the reason why we have this like shorthand is we've yeah. recognized each other that we've, and some of that is, you could say as a spirituality concept, some of that could be just how we grew up and the stuff that we had to go through and try to be more mature and older and caretaking in our own ways. Mm -hmm. But, um, but 40 and turning in this year, like I, uh, I had, I had some friends text me on, on that day and they're like, it's all downhill from here. And I was like, awesome. And then I was thinking about it. And the concept that I want to bring to that is the downhill part is the best part of the roller coaster. The uphill is all, nervous energy and like anticipation and once I have the resources to do x or when I have kids or when I get to travel to this place it's all this building of resources and time and effort but I'm trying to get to a place where I'm ready for the downhill I'm ready for I don't give a shit anymore what people think of me I don't care about you know what anybody has to say in my way I don't I want to be a good person who is like you said, actualizing and finding, you know, the experiences that they want to have and goes after them doggedly and doesn't let things stand in their way from helping other people from taking care of myself. Like I, I started actually taking care of my body more and I had a lot, I still have a lot of things standing in my way for that, but I'm in better shape now than I was, you know, I've have been in like 10 years because I don't want to, I don't want things to stand in my way anymore from enjoying the downhill, you know, and what, and that's a lot of different things for a lot of different people. So, so for me is like, enjoy the downhill part of the roller coaster as much as I can and like soak all that up as much as possible. I usually ask a question, like what's the best advice you've been given or what's a piece of advice you'd give your younger self. But I feel like you just answered that the downhill. That's it. That's it. The downhill. That's yeah, that's where I live. I've been talking to a lot of friends and maybe this comes from like loss of a parent or growing up in the Northeast where I just, we just really don't care what people think of us. Um, but I legitimately do not care what people think of me. And it is the biggest joy in my life, like to just not care, like to see how many people struggle with like people pleasing and making them so yeah. smaller and you know, holding back because they're so afraid. I'm like, I just, I really, I know it's such a privilege, but I just really don't care. And I don't know if it's maybe turning 30, but I'm just, all of my friends, like, you just really don't care. Like, I'm not really but it's so freeing for other people too. The, yeah. you, you're that, that when you, you bringing that to the table, I felt it. It feels like it gives me permission to do the same thing. You know, I, 
I'm literally every single thing, astrology, Enneagram, Hogwarts house. They're all the same person, by the way. They're literally, you're describing the same person. I'm a Taurus. I'm a two. I'm a Gryffindor. Like literally all the same shit, which whether or not anybody believes in any of those things or one of those things, they literally list the same person. Mm -hmm. It's all people caretaking. It's all, you know, being comfortable and helping and, you know, all these things and standing up and for other people, not to say that I'm a good person or I'm good at that. I'm, but it's like the makeup. It's the, it's the sort of spiritual genetics of that. Um, it's so refreshing to meet people like you who in not caring what other people think, don't do it in a way that like says, I don't affirm you. You do it in a way that says I have freedom to define myself and you should too. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. that's powerful. Uh, so I'm basically just leeching off of you in that way. But not leeching. It's friendship. Uh, it's okay. Okay. Uh, I might have some, I might have some things to work out about yeah, friendship. Yeah, sure. you have, okay. You're just taking some notes, working through it on your, on your own. Hold on. Just writing this down. Yes, please. Um, thank you so much. I could talk to you for weeks on end if you let me, Same. but Same. That's it for this week's episode of The Tea with Brie. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at The Tea with Brie. Send me an email at theteawithbrie at gmail.com and visit the website theteawithbreepodcast.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. A special thanks to Mama Duke for our theme music, and I will talk to y'all next week. Bye.